This is Werewolf the Podcast, a podcast about the role-playing game, Werewolf the Apocalypse. Have you heard of high-level games? If you're a content creator looking to make your dream a reality, you need high-level games. High-level games does layout, editing, and development support such as Kickstarter and more. Even if you're not a creator and just want to enhance your game with exciting new supplements, go to highlevelgames.ca and check out Dark New England for V20. High-level games. We want to help you level up your role-playing game. Highlevelgames.ca Welcome to another wonderful episode of Werewolf the Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Josh Heath, and I am joined by Carrie. Carrie, say hello to everybody. Hello, everyone. Today, we are going to be recording an episode on Frontier Secrets and the Storyteller screen for Werewolf the Wild West. Folks that have been listening to the podcast have heard my wonderful review. Um, I'm very excited today, so things are all going to be wonderful and amazing. Um, <laughs> You've all heard my wonderful review I did with Charles Siegel, who had barely read any werewolf books prior to reading Werewolf the Wild West, and his take on it uh, was very, very interesting. I think that's a great episode. Go back and listen to it, because we're going to reference things that happen in that book, in this particular slim book. But before we talk about that, we've got a Patreon, Werewolf the Podcast on Patreon. Go, become a backer. We are running a, um, a Discord game called A World of Rage on the Discord. Um, so Patreon backers of a certain level can be uh, able to get into that game and play. $1 a month, though, gets you access to our Discord just to hang out and talk with us. Carrie, do you have any thoughts about the Discord or the Patreon? Well, I know that the Discord yesterday was popping. Mm-hmm. It was explosive because there was big news, which I also want to talk about. Real right. Quick. But it was it was so funny, though, because I was actually streaming my art at the time. So I wasn't <laughs> able to follow it. So by the time I got to it, it was like there's been 80 messages. And I was like, what? Yeah. Considering like usually it's like one or two posts a day. Yeah. It was like, <laughs> boom, everyone is super excited. Um, the reason we were all super excited is because over the weekend, at an event called ParadoxCon or PDXCon, Paradox Interactive is the company that currently owns the White Wolf intellectual property. They have been working on, in the background, and I've known this for a while, they've been working on the setting Bible for Werewolf 5th Edition. They said, finally, that they have begun licensing negotiations with a company to produce Werewolf 5th Edition. Mm. Which... I am tentatively excited about, however, as anyone that's listened to the, ep- the any of these episodes will know, I have some <laughs> critiques about Werewolf, so we'll see what happens. But Carrie, what are your thoughts about a new edition of Werewolf before we dive into the book we have to talk about? Um, I would like to see something a little new, mm-hmm. um, just because if not, play the other editions. Yeah. Um, I'm, I am way more into genre than I am mechanics. Mm-hmm. So like when people start talking about rage mechanics and this and that, like I can, I can feel my eyes glazing over cause in the end it doesn't matter to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm the person that likes to cry in the corner with an accent. Sure. So like a lot of that stuff just hampers me down. Um, but I would love to see them replace some of the problematic stuff with some more storytelling and drama filled stuff. Like just because something, just because they, they fix problematic things that are upsetting to people doesn't mean they can't add things for people to still rage about. Yep. And I think especially in this day and age, there's so many things to rage about that, you know, like I would think that, writing werewolf would actually be easier now yeah it's shocking how topical the environmental rage conversation is yeah 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 and the sense of fighting against uh, systemic social issues which is a theme in werewolf Mm -hmm. even though people like slide that to the side and the ideas of corruption we don't have any issues of corruption in the united states but if we were to have them it would be an excellent additional like thing to talk about in a werewolf um, role playing game. 
Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful. Yeah, I am hopeful as well. The interesting thing for me is there were some issues. We won't dive into them too deeply. There were some issues with Vampire 5th Edition's development. <laughs> but there were some really good mechanics that help genre, like help yes. really drive the genre of vampire. And I think utilizing that uh, that ideal to recreate Werewolf the Apocalypse, if done well, caveat, if done well, will be absolutely amazing. I am very hopeful because I know some of the folks that are working right now on the Bible and some other things that have given input. These mm. are people that I trust and believe in. They were the people that were advocating for things that I trust and believe in in fifth edition, vampire fifth edition. So we'll see. I'm tentatively excited. Okay. Let's just be excited. It's okay. (laughs) It's okay to be disappointed too, but it's okay to be excited. Yeah. I just don't want to be disappointed again because I got so excited for vampire fifth edition and was, was let down. Well, if, if, if things go south, We'll just change the name of the podcast to something else. and Yeah, we'll just do forward. another podcast, which might we'll be a great do idea. An, we'll do a whole podcast on Ninja Turtles. It'll be fine. <laughs> that sounds like an amazing... Anyway, let's not build, make ourselves Good. another podcast. Um, he was doing like a retrospective of Ninja Turtles, like the cartoon and then the movies. Anyway, yeah. Oh, no, no, no. We start with the uh, Eastman and Laird Mirage comic books. Okay. Yeah, I like that idea as well. I have... Um, I think one through 50 in a collected set. So yeah, it's good saying stuff. we could do that if we wanted. <laughs> I'm in, and, and Willie, we can even go forward and we can do the new comic books that are out right now. Those are pretty good too. Uh, the IDW ones. Yeah. I've heard really yeah. good things about them. Yeah. yeah. I've read two. Anyway, we could get distracted in Ninja Turtles <laughs> land for a long time. <laughs> Frontier secrets. So everybody. No Ninja Turtles. That's my, <laughs> that's my big complaint. Yeah, where are the the Turtle Shifters come in Changing Breeds 20th Anniversary Edition? <laughs> Drag those back into this. Anyway, um, Frontier Secrets is a slim book that came with a screen. Yes. It uh, It's effectively the storyteller's handbook for Werewolf the Wild West, but it's also sort of the player's guide. Mm-hmm. It's uh, It does a lot in a really short amount of space, and I... Um, shockingly have a lot of good things to say about this book. So good. uh, Yeah, it's a shock. Um, so, but it's a good one for today because of my, um, my positive mood. So this was published in 1997. It was written by Phil Brucato, Richard Dansky, Robert Hatch, and Ian Lemke. Um, I'll be honest, every single one of these writers are, um, folks that I respect and I think are good writers in the White Wolf, um, milieu. So they've done a great job. Some of the concepts and design were done by Andrew Bates, Brian Glass, Fred Yelk, and Aaron Voss. And the art, Andrew Bates, Steve Bryant, James Daly, Scott Fisher, Darren Frydenhall, Frieden, Frydendahl. We'll just roll with that. Sorry, Darren. Dave Fuden, Jeff Parker, and Ron Spencer. So, Carrie, with all of that introduction, what do you think about Frontier Secrets? What... Um, what is it as a book as you see it? Um, it, it? They actually explain what it is really well on the on the first page where mm-hmm. they go, oops, this is just all the leftovers. <laughs> yep. And I'm a fat girl and I love leftovers. So like I, I was all about this book. It was very exciting. Um, Do we want to talk about the screen first? Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about the screen real quick. You have a, a copy of it. I thought I had one um, and I because I have like a, a whole shelf of game screens and Mm -hmm. this one wasn't on it. So maybe I've never owned it and just thought I did. Sure. Well, that's easy to do. Um, We're very lucky here where where I live. We have a used bookstore that is huge and people Mm -hmm. it's constantly getting gaming books from people emptying out their shelves. So I actually have two copies of the storyteller screen. Wow. Um, You know, cause I, cause I went looking and I pulled out one and I went, wait a minute, there's one, you know, so I was like, I'm going to take the one that's beat up to look at. So, mm-hmm. you know, my poor husband doesn't have a heart attack because <laughs> I'm paging through his beloved books. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the, the, the storyteller screen, it's, it's done. The artwork, I'm going to talk about the artwork first. Sure. Um, is done by Glenn Fabry. I mm-hmm. think I'm saying that right. Yeah, I think so. Um, And his stuff is very colorful. It's all bright. 
um, aggressive colors, mm-hmm. which I think work really well. Um, the anatomy, the the my only real concern is is all his femori look like pickle men, mm-hmm. and that's kind of weird. And the werewolf has a weird shaved belly, and and so like. It, I don't know if he was excited about drawing muscles or was going wolves have shorter hair on their belly. So when it's a werewolf, it's bald. I, I don't know. So it, it, it's just the only reason I even point that out is it's distracting mm-hmm. because the rest of it is so fun. Um, but the important thing on the storyteller screen is that there's a wanted poster for Isaiah Morningkill. That's and super that's cool. Super fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, he's wanted for murder, <laughs> which is appropriate. Yeah, yes. Isaiah Morningkill is the grandfather or great grandfather of um, Jacob Morningkill, yes. who is a major figure in the modern werewolf. Yes. The apocalypse meta plot. Um, I I believe he is the king at the time, isn't he? Uh, I, Isaiah. Isaiah is the king at the time. Yeah. Yep. Yes. So, uh, like, no, no, he's not. So, what's interesting? So, Isaiah goes through a very similar story to to Albrecht. So, he's also Albrecht's grandfather or great grandfather. I can't remember which. Yeah. Um, and he goes through a similar sort of thing to uh, Jonas Albrecht, where he is thrown out of his sept and has to. And he gets involved with the Storm Umbra and the Storm Eater and all of that, and helps orchestrate the. Um, the binding of the storm eater okay. eventually. So like I said, I haven't actually read the whole werewolf wild west book. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, you know, like my, my husband was like, I'm going to run this. So don't read it. And <laughs> so I, well, okay. You know, and then, you know, that never happened. So fair. So, yeah. Um, so that's the, the front side that the players see. And then the back side is kind of just a typical storyteller screen it's got all the charts that you would think you would need um there's a firefight complication um a gunfight complication which i'm not sure what the difference between a firefight and a gunfight is but maybe that's just me being dumb um that's odd they sound like the same thing to me but yeah now that i'm looking at it i'm not oh i think in a firefight is more like uh trying to i think it's a called shot is now that i'm looking at it Okay. Still um, weird, but okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I I will say this because you know, like I had just said, I'm not a I'm not a mechanics girl. Like mm-hmm. I read mechanics, I get it, but like I don't get excited about it. So I I will say the border art is very fun. It's very remin- reminiscent uh, reminiscent of um classic vampire uh Joshua um. Timbrook. Gabriel Timbrook, yep. Yeah, it's, which, it, I mean, it might be. I don't know. Is it the same border uh, art that is in the books itself with the, um, the um, like, the holstered gun and the Pueblo yes. um, imagery and things like that? Yeah. Yes, yes it is. Mm-hmm. I really like that imagery, all except for, and I mentioned this before, uh, may not have been in one of our podcasts. I think it was the podcast with Charles. Everything but the war bonnet, I love because I think it's totally appropriate. That's the only thing that I'd take that out in 2019, and you'd have an amazing, like, border piece. Yeah. Well, it makes me think that they were trying to be inclusive and just Mm -hmm. didn't know how. Right. Which, for 1997 try that was at right. least something yes absolutely so those are my thoughts on the the screen awesome and i've the weird thing for me so i'm gonna just talk about screens for a second is i don't like them i don't like to use them as a storyteller or a gm or whatever term you use because i always feel like it disconnects me from my players Fair. and i'm the type of person that likes to lean in and be like not like in their personal space but like feel like I'm in the space with my players. So a screen is great, but usually what I'll do is just cup my hands <laughs> when I'm rolling dice if I don't want them mm-hmm. to see them. And for me, like I'll use a screen as a quick reference guide. I'll hand it out to players much more than I'll do anything else with it. Right. But I think it's very okay to also use a screen if you want to. Yeah. Totally. Um, 
some, some yeah, you know, like a lot of people will compare, you know, say a screen is just there for a storyteller to cheat. And you know what? It absolutely is. And it's not cheating when you're the storyteller. Exactly. You know, if you need to botch a roll so that your all your players don't die, that's not cheating. That's doing what's best for your game. Yep, 100%. There have been times, rarely, because I roll terribly all the time, but there have been key moments when I've literally rolled more successes than a character could survive, and I've been like, oh, wow, you got just enough to drop unconscious. Yeah, ooh, hope somebody saves you. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Because it's more thematically interesting. People uh, like that more than just, oh, well, you know, Billy's dead. Now you've got to make Billy Jr. today. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, party. May I join? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think it's a useful screen. I think screens are useful to have if you um, if you need that quick reference guide or if you want, you know, that um, little bit of way of protecting your notes and your roles and things like that. So yeah. always a good thing. Um, but the book itself. Better to have the tool than not, and not need to use it. Yeah, yes, which we have talked about before. You talked about that on a roll podcast recently, which mm-hmm. was uh, you've had some several very, very good episodes recently. Uh, I was going to tell you that uh, on the Facebook group, but instead I want to tell you that directly. I've enjoyed well, the episodes you. recently. I appreciate that. This book is uh it, you're right. It, the first page tells us, you know, it's everything that fell off the core book because they, for whatever reason, had a very strict page count that they had mm-hmm. to stick to, which makes sense. But I think it's also got lots of cool extras. Oh, absolutely. That, that really make it that, like this is a worthwhile little book to have. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to I always pull you back and I apologize. Yes, I want to okay. talk about the cover. Back. Yes. Um. You know, we've talked about uh, Ron Spencer doing mm-hmm. artwork before. This is like one of the only pieces of his that I don't think works. Oh, interesting. Um, but I actually don't think it works because of the color choice they use behind the image. Um, the book is brown, mm-hmm. like all of the other Wild West books. Mm-hmm. And because his image is so dark, it all kind of melts together. And it, it's really hard to distinguish what's going on yeah at first glance yeah it's one of those images you really have to stare at a long time yeah and and for some reason and usually he's not so bad he has a little bit of a the the main werewolf has lots of extra muscles going on yeah where are the that's not a gluteus maximus i don't know what that muscle is actually when I was I was going I went to a LARP this Saturday and so I went over the we we traveled for like four hours mm-hmm. and okay. so I had four hours in a car to go over the book so I was talking about the book with everyone that was in the car with me and it was so funny someone actually goes what's wrong with his butt is he a Metis <laughs> and I was like well okay yeah you know so like that's weird because usually he, his artwork his anatomy isn't off like that. Yeah. So it makes me think maybe this was a rush job. Maybe, which would make sense. A lot of these books like this were, hey, we've got three weeks to do a book. Let's right. get it exactly. done. Exactly. So mm-hmm. um, but I will say I I really enjoy in the left corner of the cover is a little dude with his face he's face planted in cactus. And I don't know why, but that's really funny to me. <laughs> um it shouldn't be because that that would like kill you. That would hurt so badly. But um and I would also like to say, I adore the logo they used. Yes. The the, uh, the actual, like, title of the book here. Yes. is uh, that's It's amazing. I wish they had done this for more books. Yeah, absolutely. And because uh, it's kind of, they've got a, um, it, it's in this cold, almost steel color, which stands out beautifully against the brown. Mm-hmm. And then... I don't know if it's supposed to be like a wagon wheel or a compass. So I think this is a reference to the um, the um, vampire, what they will eventually use for Victorian age with that oh. Um, oh, fencing, the kind of fencing, metal fencing that they okay, do. Yeah. I think it's a ripoff of that. Not like a ripoff, but like a it's reference to that. An homage. Yes. Ah, there we go. Better word. 
Yeah, well, either way, like, I got a lot of different things from it, and they all worked really well. And so I'd like to say I really dig the uh, the the logo they used. Yeah, absolutely. One of the interesting things, now that I'm staring at this cover a lot, that mm-hmm. I've never noticed before, is I think this is in the Umbra. Because... It's gotta be. <laughs> yeah, well, the uh, moon, the quote-unquote moon in the background, actually looks like Earth. Yeah. It's green and like blues. And I'm like, oh, wait, is that how things look like in the Umbra? Like, can you see Earth in the Umbra instead of like the moon? That would be really cool. I don't know why that would be a thing, but I'm in, I want to know more. Well, I would think if you were not in the near Umbra, if you were like in the uh, ethereal realms or whatever Deep Umbra or something or you were actually traveling and, you know, travel is a big deal in the Wild West. So, yeah. I think it's cool. Yeah, there yes. there are some um, some issues with that, but I think it's a really cool art piece, even with that. Yes. Cool. Thank so you they- for bringing me back to that, because that now now I have story ideas from this cover, <laughs> and I've been looking at it for weeks. Like I should have gotten those already. Anyway, <laughs> um, the first chapter is about gifts mostly. I'm gonna one last time. I promise, and then I won't do it again. Um, you know how we talk, I always like, I always like to go the most important line in the book Yep. is on page five. Okay. Like real early introduction on. page. Yep. Yeah. Like in all it's, it says nothing spoils a good character, like out of character knowledge. Mm-hmm. And I feel like every new player needs to get that tattooed on their forehead <laughs> because that I think is the, the best um, best thing you can tell someone that's just learning role playing, like yep. that's the best advice you can give is you don't have to know everything. Yep, it's almost better not to to just know the bare necessities and Absolutely. learn it all in game. Yes. Yep, agreed. That's a good point. Any thoughts on the two art pieces here in the introduction and then on chapter one before we before I stumble into gifts again? Um, I super dig all of the chapter head artwork. I mean, some of it's a little over the top, top ridiculous, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but I really dig how they all look like woodcuts. Yeah. And so it, it feels very much like Wild West reproduction art. And, um, you know, it's got a, a freneticness mm-hmm. to it, an energy to it that I think transfers really well. Yeah, agreed. I think it's very dynamic and good Mm -hmm. art. So every time I look at it, like I kept flipping open to this chapter one image and going, ooh, I want to know what this werewolf is doing right now. Like what's going on in his life? No, absolutely. Um, So yeah, so in chapter one, we have extra gifts that didn't make it into the core book. Some of these actually end up in later editions, Werewolf 20th Anniversary Edition, and some other things. I think they're all thematically interesting for the tribes, because they all are mostly tribal gifts, and then there are a couple of totems. But I, I, there's nothing in here that I'm like, oh, I've got to have this gift, or this gift like is the one that I will make sure I always use in a game, or something like that. All right, like, well, I had a few. Okay, go ahead. Um. I I adore the Metis gift shed. Okay. Because it's so gross. Mm-hmm. It is like, absolutely gross. Yeah, like you know, like when you're grappling with somebody and all their their fur comes out. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up with a character that had that once, and I've when when you decide to be a little uh, I was a ragabash, so like no pool was safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really gross and awesome and super fun. Um. The other gifts that I thought were really interesting is the Black Furies have dispelled the Golden Waste. Yes. And, like, how amazing is that? The the gift basically just has a Black Fury go to a place where they believe there's gold in the land, and they make it go away. Mm-hmm. You know, this land is now worthless. You don't need to destroy it. Go somewhere else. Which has all kinds of cool story implications. Oh, so cool. Mm-hmm. Like, I was, I, I read that and I was like, oh, oh, oh. And like the poor people in the car were just like, stop doing that. <laughs> okay, sorry. 
Um, and then the Silver Fangs have a gift called Dramatic Entrance, mm-hmm. which I, when I first read it, I was like, they should all just automatically have that. <laughs> right. It should be an innate power. Yeah. Like, the you know, like they should, they should ditch like the pure breed stuff and just give them dramatic entrance. Um, and dramatic entrance basically is they walk into a room and go, aha. And everyone turns around and goes, Oh my, that was so dramatic. The way you entered the room. Um, it just means everyone looks at them and draws attention to them. Um, but it was, so in character with the tribe that I was like, oh, that's perfect. I love it. Um, that's an interesting point. So sorry for someone asked me about uh, one of my thoughts for Werewolf Fifth Edition, and they were like, we want to get rid of pure breed, and I'm like, agreed because that's very problematic as a an element of the game. Instead of having that, but having things like like an ability that automatically, as a member of the tribe, you exude this sort of effect. You know, for a short period of time, that would be really cool instead of having that um, pure breed mechanic in the game. It's still. No, go on. I'm sorry. It's still sort of like references the like the idea of, oh, this is a magnificent wolf, but in a way that is much less uh, problematic. We'll just leave it at that. Okay. Um, And then the uh, the Bane Tender tribe. Um, they have a gift. Um, it's actually not the gift itself I have a problem with. It's uh, Kachina's ka- luck. Kachina's luck. I'm not sure how to pronounce uh, that. Kachina, yeah. Kachina, okay. Um, just they tried to be clever and they they did the page layout around the artwork and it's really hard to read. Yeah, that whole page is tough to read because it doesn't quite work. Yeah, no, it doesn't. Because part of the problem is the artwork is a bunch of splatters. So it almost looks like the the when they printed it, like it's smeared or something. You know, like I actually, yeah, like it it really bothered me. I had a hard time reading that because of it. Yeah, which is a shame because this art is super cool. Mm-hmm. It would have just been better to have it just be the art on that page than yeah. have the text like flow into it. Yeah. That's a layout conversation. Um, it's a good one, but like that's like for me, like I was just finishing laying out a project, so like <laughs> I get really sensitive about those things where it's like I can understand why you think this is a cool idea, but if players can't read it, yeah, d- don't waste your time. Um, uh, as an aside, I've been reading Kindred of the East books also recently. And they have this chrysanthemum pattern that is behind all of the text. Oh. And it's nearly impossible to read the books because you can't have an image that, that's, that is that busy behind all of the writing. It just doesn't work. Yeah. One of, uh, the, yeah. One of the newest Star Trek books just had that problem. They printed mm-hmm. their entire book to look like you were reading it off of a... Um, Oh, a, pad. a data pad. Mm-hmm. And so it was black with white text. Mm-hmm. And it was so bad that they actually just offered PDFs of it reversed to everybody. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's good that they did that. but Right. But like, why didn't someone go, hey, wait a minute? Yeah. I, From a design perspective, I understand why people try that. Mm-hmm. Because it sounds like it's going to be super cool and dynamic and different. And it never works out well. They did it in right. Vampire Fifth Edition. There's whole sections that are black with white, um, white text, and it well, just doesn't work well. Yeah, no, it does not. Yeah, there are uh, three extra totems in here that are not present in the core Wild West book. I think they're great totems. I'm not sure. I think Raven is reprinted though from the core book because I'm 98% sure that Raven is in. It might be. It, it sounds like because also like when I read it, Owl is one of them, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Why the heck is an owl in the core book?" Right. But then, like at the end of the book, they go, "Oops, we forgot to include Owl in the original book, so we put him here." And I went, "Okay, that makes sense." Yeah, which I can get behind, and maybe yeah. that's what happened with Raven. But I'm nearly a hundred percent sure that Charles and I talked about Raven as a totem in that book. So mm. weird. Anyway. Chapter two is about the changing breeds, the Farah 
of yes. the region. What I like about this is they give you a real brief history of the War of Rage. They say, hey, there are these other books, which we've talked about some of them, for playing some of these characters. And then they give you all of the Wild West thematic uh, changing breeds to play. And they give you all the rules that you would need to play them. Yes. And I, I think that's great. Like, uh, this in such a small space gives me everything that I would need to play a Korax or a Nuisha or what are the other ones that are in here? The um, one set of Bastet, the Pamunka, and that's it. But that's all I absolutely have to have if I were playing a Wild West game because they're the ones that are here or in most of the cases in the West. Any thoughts about any of those other than kind of that general overview? Um, I, I, well, I have two things on the Corax. The first mm-hmm. is I love that the picture they posted was them in Krinos because yep. it looks so goofy. Right. And it makes me so happy that that's one of those themes that has continued on from the very beginning that Corax in their, in their wear form are just ridiculous and goofy and not scary looking at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a player argue that with me one time. And I actually had to show him in the book that was like, they are embarrassed by, and he was like, oh, okay. And, um, and then here's a picture. Like, yeah. Just look, so you know. what you look like. Do you want it? It's, oh, no. Um, and I adore, they have a gift called Morse, mm-hmm. which is basically just the Korak can tap out a Morse code on anything flat and the nearest Koraks will hear it. And that's cool. super cool. Yeah. Yeah, like, that's just, I was just like, yes, that is cool. I don't need anything else. That's that's the fun of that. Mm. Um, let's see. Uh, Nuisha, I mean, I knew this, but... Before we go on to the oh. Nuisha, I do have a Korax thing that I want to mention. My favorite gift of all times is Thieving Talons of the Magpie. <laughs> and it's a level five Korax gift, and they tell you in here that the Korax are the ones that know this gift. They are the ones that taught it to the Garu. And the Garu mm-hmm. forget that point. Well, I love what what I love about White Wolf when they do that is at at some point you just go, I don't know who to believe. Mm-hmm. Like, who taught what to what? Does it really matter? Quit being whiny little were creatures and do your jobs instead. Right. But I taught it to the werewolves. <laughs> It at least plays into the themes and the idea of why all of these folks are arguing, even though, again, you're right. Just get to work, people, and stop, like, whining. (laughs) So you were going to say something about the new Weisha. Um, There is a defining sentence, and of course I can't find it now, in the new Weisha, where they talk about the Pure Land Guru tribes. Mm-hmm. stealing the Nuisha Karens mm-hmm. before the European werewolves showed up. Yep. And I was like, oh, Guru are just really Guru. It doesn't matter what tribe. They're all jerks. Yep. And, and like, I, I kind of feel like that's super important, important and never touched on. Yeah. One of the things that Charles and I critiqued in the core book is that it leans heavy into, oh, the pure ones were really pure, and that has issues of, like, the the um, noble savage trope and all the, this yeah, thing. Yeah. But with this section on the Nuisha, it's like, no, those yeah. werewolves are just as bad as every werewolf. And guess what? Humanity, all humans are industrials and mm-hmm. do things that corrupt our land, like... None of us are perfect, sadly. Yeah. Certainly none of us are pure. <laughs> that's for sure. Whatever. I'm right. the driven snow. <laughs> well, you might be, Carrie, but nobody <laughs> else is. <laughs> Any other thoughts on the Nuisha? I like them. We talked about the Nuisha book already, but I think this is a better write-up of them. Um, you know what? Yeah, like... I actually really enjoyed these, like, it feels like they were like, we've got three pages. Let's make a three page where you can play this. Yep. And it really does have everything you need. Um, I 
I knew this, but it never dawned on me that uh, they can soak claves. Oh, oh yeah, because they're not susceptible to silver damage. Right. And oh, yeah, like, yeah. But they make a big deal where they go, Mwah! and I was like, <laughs> that's, that's so new, Wisha. I love it. Um, and that they get humor renown. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I've not delved really deeply into the new Wisha just because, like, you know, most things that I run are LARP, and therefore... I'm not going to let someone play a new issue because there's like five of them. Right. And so I was just like, Oh no, there are a hundred on earth at all times. The yeah. rest are off in the umber. Yeah. Anyway, I hate that plot point. Yeah. Um, but you didn't bring up a good point that is good for me to remember in a product that I'm creating for the storytellers vault right now, which will be out next week. I hope for okay. the year of the road project uh, is called rage, uh, rage along route one. And I have a Nuisha character that is pretending to be a Garu in that. I adore that gift. The <laughs> it's a great clothing right? gift. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was like, I read that and I was like, oh, mm-hmm. so many ideas. <laughs> <laughs> and if you think about like the interbreeding of coyotes and wolves with one another that's happening in real life right now, like it adds some interesting layers and flavor there. Yes, absolutely. Pomunka. Any thoughts on the Pamunka? So is is there more in the main book about Old Stoneface? Old Stoneface. I don't remember. Okay. That's that's the uh the werecat that basically it does a lot of stuff. Like like Old Stoneface um I'm trying to it, it's all over this write up. Oh. And so I would like and they kind of imply that like maybe there's more to him than that, but it's not in these pages. It's interesting. Yeah, I don't remember any of that from the book, but it Yeah, this is an interesting thing because there's some of this that I like and some of this that gets into some weird like creepy territory because uh, Old Stoneface is the first one to supposedly mate with European kinfolk. Yes. Um, uh, that gets into those spaces in Werewolf where I'm like, the, these we, this weird ethnic like bloodline element just gets so weird so quickly. Right. No, yeah. you're, you're right. It does. I mean, you know, is it true to life in some instances? Yes, but do we need to be role-playing that? Yeah. Ah. yeah. Um. Let's see. Uh, I, I will point out, though, they do define den realms in here, though. Woo! Thankfully. They well, they at least say that they are used to cross into the Umbra. Right. So I was like, why couldn't you have that in the Bestet book? Right, where it would have been useful Yeah, to have. like I shouldn't have to look at a Wild West werewolf <laughs> book to be able to play my current day Bestet. Yeah, and no one would unless they're they happen to like play Wild West and have right. this, book. or they listen to this podcast. Yeah, well, now you know everyone. Um, and I think like I've owned this book for decades now, and I had it when I was running a Wild West LARP. I think this is where I got the idea, like, oh, they use their Denrums to cross into the Umra. Yeah, but it, or maybe even from the Wild West LARP book, but maybe it never like filtered in. I don't right. know. You never know. That brings us um, to chapter three, which I have enjoyed everything up to this point, but this is my favorite chapter of this book. And it's a 50-page book, and this is awesome. This is a great chapter. It is. It is. Um, It has what I think is the worst illustration in the book. Yeah. <laughs> What's going on with the troll dude there? Oh, no, the that's not what I'm talking about. Oh, which one? I'm talking about the next page where it's the vampire and the werewolf fighting, but the oh, werewolf yeah. is wearing jeans. Yeah. Oh, no, those aren't jeans. Those are uh, Union or Confederate pants. With Either pockets. way, he's wearing pants. Yeah. He's wearing pants with pockets that didn't exist and a belt that didn't exist for another 30 or 40 years. <laughs> like, it's – guru wearing clothes is always weird to me to begin with. Like, even when it's just – like, even jewelry, I'm always like, you know, like, did you cast that to make that – you know, like, it's like, mm-hmm. okay, whatever. But, like, when they start wearing, like – and you know he's wearing boots. 
Yeah. If he's oh, wearing pants, he's got to be wearing boots. And that's just weird. Maybe it's a Nuisha. And maybe he has Metamorph. Uh, so why would you metamorph your upper body and not your lower body? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just throwing out options. He's like, these are my favorite pair of pants. I can't ruin them. Yeah, but I've got to fight this vampire. Because this is black and white, what we don't see is they're purple. And <laughs> the character's name is Bruce Banner. And he <laughs> doesn't want to have another incident. <laughs> I only have so many pairs of purple pants. Yeah. I really like the the beginning of this chapter because it starts with vampires and it gives you just enough information from a lupine, from a Garu perspective. I like how it talks about the the clans. Like some werewolves are like, we've got this idea that vampires have different tribes of some sort. Yes. But the way they loop them all or lump them all together is totally wrong. And I'm like, I wish, why isn't there more of this in all of the books? I love misinformation in games. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. I, especially misinformation that players know are wrong, but roll with it. Exactly. Um, I, I was once in a game where the, we were bad, we were werewolves and we were battling and we, somebody overheard a vampire say you know, get to the harpy or, or something like that. But the player decided to mishear it and he heard hairpiece instead of harpy. And so our entire game decided that the vampires in charge all wear wigs. <laughs> we're like, go for the one with wigs first. You know, and our storytellers were like, what is wrong with you? And we're like, yep. it was so good. Yep. Um, and so like, yeah, like, the, the wormies, I, I squee squealed when yeah. I read about them. Mm -hmm. um, especially, I found it fascinating because the wormies are the Nosferatu, and I'm mm -hmm. assuming probably the um, Samedi and and maybe Zemisi. And maybe Zemisi. Mm -hmm. um, but they mentioned that they can um, have an effect of a delirium like condition on people. Mm -hmm. I've never read that anywhere else. Yeah, like that would be a cool mechanic to have in, wouldn't yes, it? it would. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and I like I love like the the La Sombra. Mm-hmm. Like because it actually <laughs> took me a minute when I was reading and went La Sombra. <laughs> I'm a nerd. Okay. But um, it makes an I, I I like that they call them the Dark Riders too. Like I'm um so I don't know if we pulled this into a book that I'm working on, but I hope we did because. This idea of La Sombra as like these night riding desperados. Yeah. Oh, that's so super freaking cool. Yeah, no, all, all of this. And I would like to give a shout out. I don't know who wrote this section of the book, but when they when they're mentioning at the very beginning, they're mentioning like classic vampires and they mention Varney the vampire. Mm -hmm. And I would like I always get happy when Varney is mentioned because like that he's older than Dracula. Right. He should he should get some street creds and he never does. So <laughs> yay on that. <laughs> yeah. Great stuff here for the vampires. I wish there was something like this in every single book. Mm -hmm. Because I think it's really good. Then it gets into the section. So this is a conversation that I've actually had with several people, including Charles Siegel, about why the heck aren't the dream speakers or or any mages ever mentioned in werewolf books like wouldn't they have some overlap culturally well here in this they section do. is the first time they really have a good treatment and it's like four pages that's excellent and even advice on random in the wild west it's clear that phil brucato wrote this because it's it ties so neatly and nicely into the things he's created in other places mm -hmm. That's uh, my take on it. I don't know if you have any other thoughts on the mage section. Um, I'm so uh, mage is probably my weakest of okay. the the main five. Mm -hmm. Um, mostly just because it's really cerebral and I'm not. <laughs> um, but uh, one of the things that I picked up that I really liked, and I'm assuming I, I can't remember, they talk about the medicine folk mm -hmm. having the ability to to sidestep. Right. And I, I was, is, is there a group of mages that can go in the Umbra? Yeah. So most mages can go into the Umbra uh -huh. through the use of the spirit sphere. 
So okay. particularly the dream speakers are known for going into the Umbra as part of their ritual magic style. Okay. That, that's, uh, that makes sense. I do like when they're talking about parado- paradox, they say when things go wrong, they go wrong with style. Mm-hmm. And I went, I can get behind that. <laughs> Which is such a cool way of putting it, isn't it? Yeah, very much. Um, they they talk about the cult of ecstasy being militant, which was weird because, like I said, I don't know a lot about. So I was like, hey, I know that name. And they're militant? What? Mm-hmm. But apparently they were back then. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I thought it was um, the connecting everything to the ghost dance was really kind of rough. And yeah. unneeded. Um, like the way they word it, it's almost like they're glorifying the ghost stance in the in the world of darkness participation in the world dance. Because if they didn't participate, it would have gotten a lot worse. And I was just like, no, mm. no, you needed to just say it happened. Um yeah. and and not uh not connect it to to um creatures of the night or werewolves or, or dream speakers or anything like, like humans can do things without monsters. Yep. And eventually white wolf got much better about yeah. letting bad things in the world, in our real world, just be done by people. Yes. And I agree with you. Um, th- with that, in place one of the interesting things that i'm hoping is there is a werewolf victor i'm not werewolf there's a mage victorian age being created right now and developed right right now that's a wonderful time era for mage Mm -hmm. and i'm sure since um satiros brucato himself is involved in the production or has been involved in the production of that new book that some of what he's written here will come through but also knowing how he has progressed over the last 22 years, um, that it will be, I'm hoping, significantly better in the way it addresses some of these things. Okay. So let us wait and see and hope. Okay. we're being, This is a very hopeful podcast. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Um, there are wraiths and changelings in here. I want to talk about changelings in a second, but um, there's an entire book for the Wild West called Ghost Towns, which is the only werewolf and wraith crossover book that i'm aware of and it's terrible so when we get to that uh we can talk about it but right now i think this is if you need spirit and wraith stuff use this book because it's great it's yeah all you need don't get that other book uh, well no <laughs> don't <laughs> um for for the race there's only two things i want to point out um it says that Group gifts can affect ghosts in some ways, mm-hmm. um, but they were like, but how that is, is up to you. Um, but that's like the first time that there's ever been actual like confirmation that spirits and wraiths are on some level can be affected in the same general way. Yep. Um, and I thought that was fascinating. And I also thought it was really funny that they said that Salt Lake City is a heretic haven. Yeah, that's interesting. That, that was um, a big jab. Like, they were just mm-hmm. like, move on. <laughs> What's really interesting about this from a Wraith perspective is, um, are, are you a big Wraith meta plot person? Not big. Okay. So, I find it interesting that Stygia controls the Shadowlands of, of the Americas at this point. Because according to other Wraith books, it shouldn't. Mm. At this time, most of the Americas should be one of the other Dark Kingdoms. I want to say it's the, I'm going to get it wrong, the Dark Kingdom of Flint, maybe, which is an interesting name for it. Um, Sure. Right. (laughs) But that being said, it assumes that Stygia has control over the Shadowlands. Okay, so there's some kind of timeline that's not right. Yeah, well, that's because Wraith's timeline doesn't make any sense, like, if you look at it from book to book to book, there is no continuity, and I think it's intentional, but this is not a Wraith podcast, so uh, I will keep my Wraith ideas to myself. Okay. <laughs> keep those dead thoughts away. Right. Um, Changeling focuses a lot on the uh, Ninahay. And, and should. 
Yeah, it would be good if the Nunahay were actually like better developed because they're not uh, in Ra- Rage Across Appalachia. They're there. They are in a couple of Changeling books, but we need we need like an actual like it would have been good if they got an actual book on them. Yeah. But. Is the timeline correct with the shattering in in this book? Because I read it and I couldn't tell because they talk about how the uh, the European Fae show up and are like, hey, guys, this is bad. And then the shattering happens. Yeah, maybe because the shattering happens somewhere between the 1400s and the 1600s. Right. So it's possible that the shattering happened after like that initial European colonization of the Americas. But it does feel a little funky because this is the West and it's sort of indicating that happened later than when we've assumed the shattering happened. Right. Yeah. Like it was just very confusing. I was, I was like, I, like I started cause I'm really bad at dates. So I started Googling like, well, when could this have happened? And when could this have happened? And then I was like, I don't know. Yeah. Ugh. The problem with changeling is again, just like Wraith, there's some weird timelininess that's never really effectively explained. Yeah. Yeah. All of that brings me to my absolute favorite. The Enlightened Society of the Weeping Moon. (laughs) This is one of the best villain groups for me ever in Werewolf. Yes. Because they're bad, but they don't think they're bad. Those are the best bad guys. Mm -hmm. And they're basically mimicking all of Geru's society in this really, like, just off to the left and creepy and, like manic sort of way i i love that i'm like ooh, creepy bad reflections of everything that garu hold dear yes that is a plot that i am willing to lean into so this is ryan's favorite thing in all of white wolf Mm -hmm. um he became so obsessed with the enlightened society that the uh, when we moved down here to Tennessee, we ran a werewolf game, and he mm-hmm. goes, "I want to write, I want a plot that's what happens to the enlightened society, mm-hmm. like nowadays, like you know." And so that's what we we basically went. That's the TVA, <laughs> and it was the biggest, baddest, scariest thing that our players ever ran into. That um, it, awesome. It was. It was. It's so so good. Um, like Ryan keeps telling me if I ever write anything for the storyteller vault, I'm going to just write a whole source book on them. Oh, that would be cool. Tell him he should. Yeah. I, I've, <laughs> I've been trying to, um, I will message him today and be like, Ryan, write this thing. It is a like, good idea. What? <laughs> Why are you? Huh? What? Um, but I, I, yeah, I, I loved, I, I really dug all the moon phases that the members, uh, you know, like whatever you're born under is what, you job you have in the society mm-hmm. um because it, it's such a slap to the guru mm-hmm. you know like it, it, it's just it's so good and um they they actually go through and they name a bunch of the literature that the books that are in the society and like i don't know why but the yellow truths mm-hmm. is terrifying sounding Mm-hmm. Like, could you imagine finding a book labeled that? Like, like it makes my skin crawl to even think about what the cover must look like. Right. Ugh, ugh. <laughs> there is so much uh, gothic slash weird horror here. Mm-hmm. There is a just enough Lovecraftian feel, just enough like yeah. Dracula, gothic, like. All of that is layered in here in ways that are so freaking cool. And I want to know what the diaries of um, Zerne, that's like one of the books that's in here. Yeah, who's Zerne? Right. Tell me more. Yeah, oh, it's so good. Mm -hmm. This is from like a, hey, here is a whole like section of story hooks and ideas for you to run vampire or werewolf or every other game you could want. Like. Mm Just look in this literature section or in this whole section in one part or another and you'll get a whole chronicle idea. Yeah, no, this this bad guy could be used for if you were running a human game. Yep. 
That would be brilliant. You yep. could use this for anything. Yep. Ooh, what would be really cool is to use them with the Midnight Circus. <laughs> which could add like so many like little layers where mm-hmm. they're like handing out pamphlets to people at a booth at the circus and the circus has got its own issues. And then people move like, um, like the characters go to a different place for one reason or another. And there's another like little like chapter house or like storefront for the enlightened mm-hmm. society. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ooh, that I got creepy, like sh- shivers coming up with ideas for that. Anyway. Um, um, I will say I was annoyed at the, Saturnal, Saturnal, what they call their hedge magic. Yeah, the mains, the storms. No, no, hold on, hold on. Because they keep talking about their hedge magic, but they won't just say it's hedge magic. They keep saying, see below. And so, like, Mm. it takes them, like, four pages to get to explain what it is. And I'm like, all you had to do was say, it's hedge magic. And we would have been fine. Right. And so, like, right. that was really annoying because it's such a good read up to that point that it's it's like it, it's almost jarring because you're like, no, wait, no, just tell me. I'm, I'm, I'm smart. I'll remember, you know, yeah. and so, like, yeah. that was really annoying. But, um, yeah, and then, oh, the mains. Do we want to talk about the mains? Uh, the magic that they have, it's hedge magic. Use it if you want to. I would just avoid it. I would use gifts to represent some of the powers that they might have rather than because why the heck does every gosh darn thing have to have hedge magic? Like I'm done with that. I've I've been done with that for several books now. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but still, I think you could use this and it would be fine. Mm-hmm. So here's my, like if I, ha- if I could strike one line out of this book, it's okay. in the main section because it's completely it's not in theme. It's okay. it's 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 jarring and it's aggressive and it's like almost like a it's shocking. So j- just for a little uh, backstory, the mains do a lot of sexual magic. Mm, yeah. OK. And that's that's fine. But. In the second paragraph on the mains, it starts with, there's more to mains than getting cornholed in an oat field. Why do you need to say that? Right. Like, it's crude. Nothing else in this book has been crude. Right. And then they do that. And second of all, now that I live in the South, every time I hear anyone talk about beanbags, they call it cornhole. And I'm like, <laughs> stop it. What is wrong with you people? You're having your kids say something dirty. Right. And, and and so like even just reading it, like my, my northernness gets all riled up because it's like, it's beanbags. <laughs> and I realize that has nothing to do with werewolf, but I have to stick to my guns. That's the hill I die on. Fair. And it doesn't help that this sentence is both grammatically incorrect yeah. and there are multiple like word errors in there. Mm-hmm. Like it definitely did not get edited. That sentence should have just been cut because it, yeah, adds it nothing absolutely to it. like it, like it was just, it's weird because it's like everything else you're reading about the enlightened society. You're going, yeah, yeah, yeah. What? No. Yep. Yep. The, yeah, I think they're a great villain. I love that there are story hooks in here that there are stats for different levels of them. So you've got all these different options to use them. Like this is so complete as a villain group. It, there are like, until you have like a book like Famori or any of those books, there is not another complete adversary section in werewolf. Um, when we get to subsidiaries, it's my favorite book for werewolf ever. That is the only one that I think serves, passes this and this is everything you need to run this particular group of antagonists mm-hmm. which is great um i will say they do not have stats for the um the leader of the society uh lloyd fairweather mm-hmm. and they actually say because because we they be, I'm i'm paraphrasing here but they basically say because we know players cheat and it was really like that was also jarring, but in a different way. Like it was like, 
oh, you're so self-aware of who's reading your books <laughs> that they're going to go look at the numbers, and that's really sad. Yeah. Like, it's... That made me more angry about the players than the people writing the book. For sure. Though that said, White Wolf tended to do that with any of their major NPCs. Right, but, but they, they never said, them. because yeah. we know players cheat. Yeah, for, for sure. And like that was that was a little bit like I feel like that was maybe the first time White Wolf admitted like, oh, you guys aren't all perfect. <laughs> right. Yeah. But um, I will say I also really dig the fact that he died in a printing press accident. That's so like what a great, horrible destiny. Oh, it's wonderful. It's right. wonderful. Um, uh, they do, they they tell you that in the extended timeline and then they also reiterate what happens to him in a. Like, this is what happens afterward if you're trying to have a specific time. This is the timeline, like, but verbally instead of just a timeline. Um, But the timeline is really hard to read. Yeah, it is. And it's, the timeline is based on, it's it's an extension of the one that's in the core book, which Mm. is good because they're adding things to this book that would affect that timeline. So that makes sense. Yes. But you're right. It, the background is, it looks like old parchment paper and the ink of the font, it doesn't come out enough. And Yeah, it's like a Xerox of a Xerox. Yep. Yeah. There's also a weapons chart in here if you're one of those people that needs a weapons chart, which is fine. Um, it's a whole lot of guns. Lots of guns. And they're, I get it, like players that want to do Wild West stuff probably are at least somewhat interested in gunplay and things like that. So like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, some fo- the folks that are, are going to be and the folks that aren't, aren't going to be. Yeah. I do enjoy that. It gives you kind of like the end of what happens with the storm eater in here. It doesn't explain it as well as there's a, there must be another book where it actually explains the, the story of the storm eater better, but I'm not sure which oh, book the that is. Still skies. Yeah, because there is yeah. somewhere where it describes exactly who is involved. Like it names each of the members of the various tribes that was there and Morning Kill's involvement in all of this. Um, it's not in here, so I'm not sure where it is. I'm, I will find it at some point. as Right, because I don't think Morning Kill is actually mentioned in this book at all. Right. Fair. Cool. Um, um, that, yeah. Well, one last thing and then... I, I adore the a little, it's like one paragraph on the birth of Pentex. Yes. Like, I read that and I was like, ah! And it's just like, this is how it started. And that's all it gives you. And it's wonderful. Yep. Yeah, with premium oil. Um, mm-hmm. So what I love about this is premium oil begins during this era, during the Wild West era. You could deal with them early on yeah. if you want to. And it ties so well into everything else they do on Pentax in the future. Yeah. So freaking good. It is. Yeah. Um, overall, Carrie, what, how many six shooters out of 10 would you give this book? Oh, I'd give this a nine. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm almost a 10 on this book, which... Never happens. Like, I'm a 9.75. There are a couple of things that I would sketch out because that came out in 1997. It's 2019. We've learned a little bit from then. Yeah. Um, But overall, like, if I were to have a storyteller's book, this size and content would be the type of storyteller's book that I would. I love the size. Like, Mm -hmm. I didn't feel overwhelmed looking through it. Mm -hmm. You know, it had a good balance of art to words, like it, everything. The layout is wonderful. I Yeah, this is a good book. Yep. Um, if you are running Werewolf the Wild West, you should own this book. If you're running Werewolf, I think you should own this yeah. book because it adds so much to your games, potentially. Yes, absolutely. Cool. Any other thoughts, emotional outbursts, ideas? <laughs> well... Usually you ask what story I would run. Mm-hmm. Um, and besides, obviously, the Enlightened Society of the Weeping Moon, because I think that's the obvious one. Mm-hmm. Um, there is one line in the book in the Changeling section where they say uh, more than one battle between Fianna and the Bane Tenders has been fought in the name of Fae Friends. Mm-hmm. And I went, 
Well, I want to know that. Mm-hmm. What a cool story that would be, right? Right. Yeah. Like, are the are the Fae just screwing with them? Are they using them? Are are like the Fae being like elder vampires and using the werewolves to battle out to figure something out? Because that'd be very Fae like. Or alternatively problematic is the Nunahe and the European Fae are in conflict with one another. Right. And then they're dragging in their the Fianna and mm-hmm. the Bane tenders. And maybe, I think this would be fascinating, maybe neither of those werewolf tribes actually want to fight one another at first. Right. Because, I mean, there's lots of uh, geases going on mm-hmm. that they never really explain with the Fianna. Yeah. But they just say, it just is. You know, would you know. Uh, would be super freaking cool. Yeah, I would love to run that story or have someone run that story because it would be yeah. great. What about you? Mm, uh, there's so much here that it's hard. I, obviously, I the um, the Weeping Moon folks. Um, then for me, like I think I would. Uh, interestingly enough, I would dive into either the mage or the vampire stuff i am involved in a book that has been announced so i don't know i keep dancing around it but uh (laughs) vampire the wild west is in development Mm -hmm. um it is in editing at this point um it is a storyteller's vault product rather than official book but i think there's so much cool story for vampires here and i would run it from a werewolf perspective like i would pull some of this like unreliable stuff about vampires and have like a pack of werewolves fight against the La Sombra, yes. and that would be a cool story if you yeah. ask me. Like those two desperado, like have them both be outlaws, and they're like rival desperados fighting over a town, maybe fighting over like uh, a cairn or all kinds of different things. It would be a super cool con- chronicle. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, the the problem I have here is I have so many story ideas that I don't want to just like run through all of them because I could probably go all day long. <laughs> no, but. this is, I think, I think the only other thing that I'd like to mention about this book, and then I'm good with uh, signing off is that uh, they, they apparently uh, there, there's a page XX. Yeah. And that made me happy. Like, yep. I'm just like, at some point, <laughs> wouldn't you just start putting them in just like, okay, let's embrace it. There is a book. Um, and I don't remember which one it intentionally has a page XX. Mm-hmm. And because at some point White Wolf got self-aware and was like, ha ha, we're going to add this. Oh, it was, maybe it was the Malkavian book. So maybe that's not, a good, that's not a good example. But no, yeah. but but them adding it to that is where they added it. Right. Fair. Yeah. Cool. All right, everyone. Carrie, thank you, as always, for joining me to talk about Werewolf. I enjoy Thanks our conversations. Mm-hmm. And... Until we get an answer to when will you rage, we will see you again next time for Werewolf the Podcast. The music provided in this episode is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech Music. You can find his work by Googling Incompetech or Kevin McLeod. Thank you for listening to another episode of Werewolf the Podcast. You can become a patron of Werewolf the Podcast via High Level Games at our Patreon at High Level Games. You can learn more about High Level Games at highlevelgames.ca or by Googling us. Thank you for listening.